Shopamaniacs, you're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show. I'm Dave Rupert. With me is Chris Coyer. Hey, Chris, how are you doing today? Fantastic. Thanks for having me, Dave. And Chris, love the show. It wouldn't be a January in Shop Talk land without our special friend, Jen Simmons. <laughs> hey, Jen, how are you? Hello. <laughs> is this a January thing? <laughs> January. We call it January officially. Here oh, on the show. January. <laughs> January. <laughs> um, no, I just, uh, I, I was like, do we talk to Jen every uh, January? I, I think we do, but I don't, I don't know for sure. I haven't looked through the archives, but unplanned, let's say, but it's great to have you on because it's, you know, it's you're at Apple now, kind of a big deal. Not exactly yeah. easy to get you, you, you Apple people. So thanks for taking the time. I'm happy. Thrilled to be here. Wonderful. And you're just a, a longtime champion for the web all, all over the place. So I'm sure we're going to end up getting into all kinds of web, web platform features. That's our plan anyway. And like what's going on? Um, all around the web and then specifically at WebKit and Safari because that's your expertise. Great. So here's the plan, everybody. We're going to end up talking about interop because Jen's involved in that and it's a, just an amazing thing that exists in the in the web. Then we're going to end up talking about Safari releases, especially the big December release that uh, that kind of just just happened because you know it was, a, it was a big one and maybe you should know about it. And then kind of generally about other things WebKit is doing and leading the charge in a number of ways. So let's start with that interop stuff. They, they're like calendar year projects, right? So like yeah. straight up 2023 just wrapped. Yeah, and uh, it really it's launched, I think, the last couple of years towards the end of January. So it's I guess it's sort of a February, first beginning of February to the end of January project. But yeah, it goes by calendar year. Um, yeah, so right on. We're wrapping up Interop 2023, and Interop 2024 will, it's not, uh, it hasn't been announced yet, but it will be at some point soon. Um, yeah, that's cool. We have no idea what it is. It will be, I'm, I'm, I just can't wait. You know, I'm like tapping my fingers together being like, what's it going to be? I didn't, somehow this eluded me until now. The list isn't like four. The list is like 20. Right. At least that's what it looks like for Interop 2022. The list is thick. Yeah, Interop 2023 ended up being a lot of things. There's 26 focus areas, I think. But if you actually dig into what's inside of each of these focus areas, some of them actually have quite a few things in them. And they may look sort of simple on the label, the outer label, but they're not simple. Like there's there's like the web components. There's like four major things in there or color. There's like, I don't even know how many features are in that color bucket. Right. Um, so there actually, it turned out to be quite a lot of work, quite a lot of tests in 2023 Interop, yeah. It's hard to know where it started. Oh, it's not hard to know where it started. You can see there's like chart and the chart goes up. And yeah. the higher the number, the more interoperable it is. So I, I would I would hope that everybody involved is, you know, I don't know, popped a bottle of champagne or something like it worked pretty good. I know it's very, these are the best scores so far with uh, passing 99%, 97%, 97% for the three major browsers. And overall interop is at 95% for the tests that are in this year. So that's one of the things that got added. There's a dashboard for folks who maybe don't know. Um, Interop is a project that's kind of hosted under the umbrella of web platform tests, but could potentially include other automatic automated testing platforms besides the um, web platform tests. But basically saying like, hey, 
how does the web become the web or how does web technology become web technology? Well, oh, it's by the web standards process. So people who make browsers, who care about browsers, who care about web technology, people who um, have been involved with the web for a long time, or maybe they make websites, get together and figure out what the future is going to be. And they write down exactly how a new web technology is supposed to work in a highly detailed technical document called a web standard. And there's consensus, right? If there's not consensus yet, then it's not a web standard yet. Or if it's something that one company does on their own, well, of course they can do that, but that's not a web standard. So Interop really is about web standards, the things that have um, web standards. And, and then it's really just a big scoreboard looking at how's everybody doing on the automated tests that exist? Now, of course, not everything is testable. And also the platform on which the tests are run is only desktop and it's running like virtually, it's running older versions of operating systems. Like there's all these details if you get into the details where you're like, oh, that's not perfect, but okay, it's not perfect. So it's good enough. Um, so it's basically running all of these tests for all of these different web technologies that were chosen for Interop 2023. And then it's saying like, how, what percentage of the tests do you pass? Um, and yeah, if you look at the dashboard, there's like a button that you can click and you can switch from looking at the stable, what's labeled stable, which basically means the browsers that are in the hands of everyday customers right now, everyday people, or experimental, which means like the browsers that are coming in the future. So you can like look at Chrome versus Chrome Dev or Firefox versus Firefox Nightly or Safari versus Safari Technology Preview. So and what if you are they, two, the, like, three months behind maybe, right? Yeah, it depends. Well, you know, sometimes things can sit in a preview browser for a while. Like it depends. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Okay. Like ha- Has was in Firefox for behind a flag for like 12 years or something, it feels like. Well, for most of the year, right. So there was a long time where certain things had landed in Chrome Dev behind a flag. But I guess for Chrome, the flags get flipped when the tests are run. Although for, for Safari Technology Preview, the flags are not being flipped. So, you know, there's oh. it's, it's complicated. Um, but what is cool is that for Interop 2023, we added a a fourth column called the interop column, which is like, well, how many of these tests pass in all three engines? And then there's a line, a fourth line, this green line, mm-hmm. which in some ways is the one that matters the most, right? So if you look at the stable green line at the beginning of the year, 48.7% of the tests that were selected passed in all the browsers. And now if you look at the end of the year stable, 95%. So it went from 48% to 95% improvement. Wow. Incredible. Yeah. So that's the power of this project is that these things become usable. And then the fallout is, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like is true, is that just everyday developers like us will make choices to use these things based on their interoperability. Because you just, I can't go a day without hearing a developer make a thumbs up or thumbs down decision about, oh, I'm not going to use OKLCH. That's not supported well enough, you know? And it's like, okay, you made that choice. That's cool. You had got to do what's right for you. But if if they were to look at the data and say, oh, it's, Got it supported across all the big three, three versions back. Sure, I'm happy to use it. That moves the needle on the, the actual usage of these new features. Yeah, and I think some of the intention with the new features is to help, because a lot of this maybe all three engines were going to implement 
in 2023 anyway, or maybe they were going to, maybe somebody might've done it in the beginning of 2024, but they did it in the end of 2023 instead. Right. So there's, there's a little bit of a, Hey, maybe these things happened when they wouldn't have happened. But I think some of the power is within our app is less about the new things and more about the things that have been around for a while. Um, Mm. Like border image is a good example where border image has been supported in all browsers for a long time. It's basically a way in CSS where you can say... Yeah, good luck explaining border image with your... Yeah, image set's a little different. <laughs> Maybe never. Let me switch. I'm going to switch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, switch. <laughs> <laughs> image set's another one, right? So image set isn't on the list, but it's in there. It's tucked into one of these areas. So image set, for instance, if you want to write in your CSS, you want to write background image, but rather than writing one background image and picking one, like, oh, I have to pick JPEG or PNG because that's the one image format that's supported in all browsers. Image set gives you a way, a lot like other parts of web technology, where you can say, oh, I actually have three images here. If you know what JPEG XL is, please use that file. If you know what AVIF is, you can use that file. But if you don't know what either one of those are, you can use a JPEG instead, right? Like, Right. It's responsive images for CSS. Yeah. And that property has been around for many years, but there were little tiny bits and pieces missing, or it was like a little bit buggy, or like it had... 80%, but that last 20% was the thing that you actually needed. Or So I think there's properties or values or you know features in on the web where over the years, for those of us who have, for any of you who've been making websites for years, you probably have this scar tissue that's built up <laughs> where you tried to use this five years ago, but it was really buggy, so you never tried it again. And you tried to do this three years ago, but you realized it was only half-baked in one of the browser engines, so you shied away from it for the last three years. Or you tried this other thing 10 years ago, but it was completely broken, and so you just put it out of your mind. And it's like, wait, we should go back and fix those things so that those really good ideas that shipped 5, 10, 15 years ago have now the kind of quality that's expected when anything new ships today, which was different 10, 15 years ago. I mean, those web standards were not nearly as technical, nearly as detailed in the beginning. If you read the CSS1 spec, or even when it was like a CSS2.1 spec, there was a lot of technical detail missing from it. So it was actually impossible for browsers to do things exactly the same as each other, because nobody was really sure what that was. Um, So the CSS Working Group spent a really long time with the CSS 2.2 specification. They went back and they like basically rewrote all of CSS and made it incredibly detailed so that every browser could be the same and we could reach interoperability. So in some ways, the Interop project is like, oh, wait, actually nobody's thought about whatever obscure thing that nobody's thought about for years. Let's put that into Interop in the next year and we'll get everybody working on the same thing. We'll get everybody fixing. Like one of the things, for example, this year is that form controls didn't have support for vertical writing modes. So you couldn't have a vertical input field. You couldn't have a vertical whatever. Yeah. Because when forms were built, horizontal writing mode was the only writing mode the web had. So it was like, hey, we need to circle back around and fix this. So we did. And now you can create vertical forms, vertical writing modes and forms. Wow, that's cool. (laughs) 
This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by Jam. That's jam.dev. Awesome URL. Go to jam.dev slash shop. It's a really clever bug reporting tool, and it's for internally on Teams. It's like, imagine you're in Slack with a fellow developer, and they send you a thing like, oh, on the item page, that's like broken or something. You get some, and I'm super guilty of sending this to people I work with. Just thinking in my head, like, oh, well, just go to the item page and look then. You'll see the error, too, if you're on my branch or you've pulled master or whatever. But maybe they don't see it. You know, like that's not enough information. Like what if it was effortless to still be that lazy, (laughs) but also give that other developer all the information they could need to make sure that they can reproduce that bug? Because it's just as easy as taking a screenshot. Like if you see the bug and it's visual in some way, which is that's my job in the world, you drag a screenshot over it in the browser and then you can optionally annotate it, like point at it or write something if you need to or whatever, but you don't even have to do that. But by virtue of you having done it in the browser, you get all this additional information, like all the console output is there. So if there's an error in the console, which is highly likely in a JavaScript application, they'll see that without you having to like, remember to screenshot that or copy and paste it or whatever. And the network requests and all the information about the browser that you're in at the moment and version and on what operating system and device and all that stuff. Reproduction steps, you can add comments to it too, but you don't have, you know, what you have to do is just take a screenshot quick and be like, this is a bug. Effortlessly small, what a clever product. And then that becomes the bug report. So check it all out at jam.dev slash shop. I love it. Looking through the 2024 list, I don't know how far we want to jump ahead. There, are, there's. It feels like there's there's new stuff, and and like you said, there is some older stuff too. There's stuff in there that's like, I don't, I haven't thought of that in a minute. You know, like the, uh, and then maybe in between too. Like there's the ATTR, the attribute function in CSS. Like who's thought of that in a million years? You know, like that's me, not. Yeah, me, <laughs> I know that the reason it's in there is because it's kind of it's about extending its functionality rather than just fixing bugs. But it's still a pretty old school thing to to be in there, and that's cool. Maybe it'll maybe it'll make the list. We'll see. Yeah, some of the things are old things that were specified a long time ago, but haven't actually been implemented by anybody. And other things are things that have like brand new specs. And other things are things that like, yeah, they're either implemented or they're unevenly implemented, but they need work. Like some way they need work. While I was thinking about this, I get this email from a you know an old this was an old conference organizer guy I knew, and he's like, oh, I'm doing a website for my school. And there's something part of the, the web app where you have to like set an emergency contact for the students or something. It's like, is there some way I can just like open up my contacts and just pick it and then I'll like pre-fill all the fields in there from the contact? And I'm like, well, there is, but <laughs> it like, it's like Chrome on Android only or something like that. And you're like, oh, that's too bad. And it made me want to vote for it for Interop, but it's not even on there because somebody like me who had it just had it top of mind would have, would have had to submit a ticket for it and stuff and whatever i'm not gonna cry about it but if you might i might if i think of it next year i'm I'm gonna write up a little ticket for it why not yeah well people should you know all year this year while you're working on things if you run across a web technology that you think gosh this is still even in 2024 really buggy and it's frustrating because it works differently in different browsers not just that it's missing from a browser but that like it's in all the browsers but still there seems to be something wrong with it Write down some notes 
And then next fall, there will be an open call for proposals and anybody is welcome to submit a proposal. You just submit it by creating a GitHub issue on the right GitHub repository and, um, yeah, and putting in a lot right. of information, right? Like we need, you know, some details about does it really have a spec, right? It's not a place for new ideas. It's a place for, hey, let's take the automated test for this thing that already exists and let's Let's yeah, put exactly. them on the scoreboard. <laughs> I think I mentioned that before the show. I saw you yeah. chiming in a bunch. And it took that to make me understand this fully. But like, this is absolutely not the place to propose new web property or web platform features. There are right. places for that. Interop is not one of them. You know, Interop requires a, at least decently, at least an existing spec, right? If not a good one. Well, and it requires consensus. It requires for it to not only be a spec, but for it to be in a, a real web standard, a, a real at, at a certain mm. level of maturity. So if it is a thing where there's still a big debate about it, where there's not really agreement, um, like you might notice that CSS nesting is not in Interop 2023, where if you think back to the timing of it, you might think, well, why not? It should have been, but it wasn't. There was the spec was still under hot debate a year ago, and so it couldn't be part of Interop twenty twenty three because it it's not for brand new like half baked things. It's for um, you know half standard speak like where, where the web standard is half baked. It's it's for things where it's so hard to explain to because <laughs> well, it's it's like existing things, right? It's yeah. not it's not speculative things. It's existing things, and, and even just. I don't know. I see it as like a shared roadmap. You can, of course, have your own internal roadmap, and uh, but like a shared road roadmap that I, I, there's something very powerful about you know three browsers here, uh, four browsers, I guess if we count Edge, uh, but like kind of coming together and saying generally we're working on this stuff, the same stuff, and that it's really powerful. I mean, it just gives me a lot of confidence as a developer that I'd be able to use something in the future, you know, yeah. and I can ship it today and it's probably going to show up within six months. I mean, like has is a great example, you know, it was like, well, I could just do it <laughs> and, and it's probably going to show up. That feels really good. So oh, that's yeah. the best is the feeling about this all. Cause it's, it's like, if this didn't exist, we would just be like, I don't know, it would it would feel like we'd have to just like complain or something to get interop stuff fixed, or I don't know what it was. You're you just kind of assume that it's gonna get better over time, but like may maybe it will, maybe it won't. Yeah. But it's nice and it's nice to see how thick the list is. So I mean, I, I don't know how much behind the scenes you know. Like are do you think the list will be as beefy <laughs> this year as it was in twenty twenty three? I mean so it is, yeah, it is Microsoft as well, right? So I was saying before, in at least the 2023 dashboard, there's sort of three big numbers for the three major engines, although that may change. But um, but Edge, Microsoft is definitely involved. And also Boku and Agalia. So it's really six companies that make browsers because all six of those companies, they're working on three engines, but there are six companies working on three engines. Um, and and many, many, ex there are also many other people who work on those engines as well. There's many, many more companies than just those six, but those are the six that are involved in Interop. So yeah, it is about those six teams coming together and saying, um, you know, these are the things that we think are most important to strive for interoperability on, driving down bugs, improving implementations, making sure that these new things that we're already working on are implemented interoperably from day one. Um, and I do think that there is a way in which 
too many things is counterproductive, which may seem weird. Like, well, why not just put every web standard ever into interop? It's like, well, that's why they are web standards. I mean, literally the whole point of them being web standards is because we're striving for interoperability. But given the reality of what it means to run an engineering team and set priorities and have many, many, many considerations that you're trying to balance, um, I think the real power for interop is when it's honed, when it's focused. And there is a way in which, um, you know, like has is awesome. It's got, it's passing a hundred percent of tests. Um, some of these others are not passing a hundred percent of tests. So it's like, well, do you want to take your engineering team off of, I don't know, building a new feature that everybody's talking about. That's not part of interop that everybody wants or fixing something else that's maybe not part of interop, but is needs attention in this particular browser that that team's working on. Or do you want them to try to get the, 97.8 score to a 98.5 score in order to get the, right? Like there's a way in which the gamification of this dashboard can become too disruptive, right? So there's a, I think there's a balance there. Um, and, yeah. and, it, and it has to get, fo- has to be focused. If there's, you know, if there were 50 things. Like it's not really a project if you said, how about interrupt 2044 is everything. Yeah. Uh, you, you can't, there's no focus there. Anyway, what are your votes? You got, I'm sure you have favorites. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of good things. I think some of the ones that stand out to me, though, are so the other thing that Interrupt does is have these, what, they're, what are called investigation projects, which is just like homework for the team that runs the Interrupt project to like do stuff so that next year. So, like, one of the inter- investigation projects this year, or I'm uh, sorry, last year, 2023, was to figure out how to test on a mobile operating system so that we can test not just desktop browsers, but test the mobile browsers as well. And that got, I don't know, there's a percent. They got 70% done. So they're not done yet. We don't have that that infrastructure yet, but they're working on it. Um, and so one of the other projects last year was, hey, you know what? We need accessibility tests. We need more tests for accessibility features. Um, and so those got written, I think, in fact, some folks at Apple were driving that project, some of our accessibility team really working hard to write a whole pile of tests that never existed before. Um, So that not only, because, you know, the web platform tests are not just good for interop. They're the tests that many browser engineers use when building every feature. There's 1.8 million web platform tests, and interop is like 400 of them or something. I made, I made that number up, but it's like a tiny, tiny fraction. So having inter- accessibility tests in the web platform is already, a web platform test is already really good and important. Um, but also it'd be cool for those to be part of interop. The other thing that, like one of the things that has stood out to me, and I've thought a lot about it this past year, because we've, we, across 2023, we worked really hard on our implementation of display contents to get it the kind of accessibility it needs to be safe to use. And we're almost all the way there. Like you can use it on ev- almost every single element ever, except um, I know the last land, the work to land was around tables. Like, I don't know why you would even apply 
um, display contents to a table element. I mean, I kind of get it because if you're trying to do the thing where like it's a table at desktop, but it's not tabley on mobile, you have all these layers to fight through on your way up from a cell. And if you just wipe them out with display contents, there's like less work to do or something. That's true. That is true. So we fixed that in Safari 17.0 back in September. But I think buttons, I think we still have buttons left to fix. I think this is awesome. I totally agree with you on this being so important. I got worried this year because there was some developer sentiment that went around about display contents that because some things were fixed, which is good, it's good to see forward, some things regressed and that there was sentiment that was like, I won't trust it ever. I won't, not only will I not use it now, I will never trust it ever again because it... Because, because of these regression, like that is dangerous. If, if the developer sentiment up towards the web starts getting like, even though it's 100% good to use, I don't trust to use it. I feel like there's something like gutturally dangerous about the developer sentiment heading that direction. So I'm like, to yeah. tackle this one wholly and just wipe it out as a, you know, have it be perfectly workable is like important to do. Yeah. Yeah, I'm on team fix any of these accessibility things. This is, you know, it's that thing where it's like it's just enough outside of your day to day that you're you either aren't up to date on everything or it's or it's that thing where it's like in one screen reader, something behaves weird. I know that's maybe not the focus, but it's just like if there was just a consistent API across a consistent browser, you know, uh, baseline, you know, because it's always like in whatever Firefox in Jaws that doesn't do this, and Chrome on this it does this, and I, I, that's just too much for me to deal with. So I would any sort of ironing those wrinkles would be. Isn't there some like implied accessibility too that like web platform features features tend to be more accessible than whatever alternative way you would have implemented it? I think of something like anchor positioning or something where you got to use a bunch of JavaScript and it's error prone and blah, blah, blah. But if you just use the browser one, chances are it will be done better. Like the chances are a lot higher it'll be done better. And that even though that's not an accessibility feature that you'd normally think of, it has accessibility implications. And Yeah, that's the promise, right? That's what's so interesting about the search element. The new, it was just so fun to be like, oh my gosh, I need to write about a brand new HTML element? Like, when was the last time we had a brand new HTML element? When we shipped search in September in Safari 10.0. Because the search element, in some ways, it's like, well, what does it do? It doesn't do much. Well, it automatically applies the correct area role to your search element. And that's the promise of the web, is that if you use the correct HTML at the correct moments, then you as a developer don't have to really think about ARIA or accessibility, like it's going to just work. I always like that ARIA rule where it's like you should try to not use ARIA roles. That's better. And so if you're going to give people that advice, well, the, the bright HTML element better exist then, you know? Right. It was almost like someone came across it and was like, oh, wait a minute. Uh, this is a situation where people have to know to apply an ARIA role or else it's broken. So that we can't have that. We need to know. No, we're making a new element. I watched a video on it and they were like, you don't need to use the form tag anymore. You just use the search tag. And I was like, oh no, I had to, you'd have one of those, like, just let people be wrong on the internet. It is okay. (laughs) 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 Oh boy. Yeah. Patience of Christ. (laughs) Give me me strength. Yes. Uh, 
so lots of lots of votes. I did this thing where I tallied up the popular vote and not to, you know, influence anything. I just thought it was interesting to see how many emojis were on all these things. Uh, and the uh, JPEG XL somehow just has like four times as many votes as, as any other one. So we'll see if that actually influences things and makes the list or not. I do think it's cool. I don't I don't know that I'd even make it top 10. I mean, and performance is great and all, but um, that's just a personal feeling. The cool thing about JPEG XL, and this is the thing where I, I worry a little bit. It, it, I want to make sure that every, all the new, the whole new world, all the new generation of web developers and such, that they kind of get the message of progressive enhancement, right? Like that's the, that's the, um, so, so many people have been singing that song for so many years where, um, it's okay if JPEG XL is only in one browser. You can still use it. It's still awesome. You can still give the users who are using Safari that benefit. And other browsers can load other formatted images, right? They can load the AVIF or another browser can load the original JPEG. Um, that image source, like use the picture, use the source element. And, and meanwhile, one of the interesting things about JPEG XL is that you can take your existing JPEG files on your server and you can just recompress them all and they'll probably be on average 20% smaller than they were before without losing any quality. Then you can just like change the robots that serve up your content to your website and get it to like add a list for your JXL files, keep the JPEG files in there as well and, you know, a little bit of, server-side effort and you can all your images are 20 percent smaller that's like that's huge right the, the like the bang for the buck here is a lot of bang little buck so you know yeah. it is worth that is a good point point. and i think if you had the original image and you compress it into jpeg for those folks who need it and you also compress it into jxl for folks who have a browser that supports jpeg xl then it can be 60 percent smaller like less than half the size. Mm, really? Wait, one more time on that. How does that work? If you take the original image file yeah. and you compress a regular JPEG and you compress a JPEG XL file and you put them side by side, you get the same quality, the same everything. The JPEG XL file on average would be 60% smaller than the JPEG. Uh, rather than taking one that's already been compressed yeah. and recompressing yeah, yeah. it? Okay, yeah, yeah. wow. So if you if you did the smart thing and kept all your originals... You're going to be in good shape. Right. If you have all the originals, which I mean, you know, but going forward, if you, and this, I think, especially because a lot of folks use some kind of service to be a CDN and the people right. who make content are just uploading a giant original file. And then there's magical robots in the cloud that um, compress all the files into multiple True. formats. I, I like making a mandate at CodePen when we make our like e weekly email that goes out. There's 10, like 600 by 600 graphics. And I'm always like, hmm. don't run it through your local thing first just upload it to our cloud thing exactly as you got it because yeah. we have a machine that, that that compresses them and they'll get smarter over time and that that's exactly why is because the closer you have to the original the more future benefit you're going to get i didn't yeah. know that about jpeg xl though that's that's wild 60 60 yeah 60 percent smaller and uh you know avif is also a fantastic format there's times you know i i, I think it's good that the web has multiple formats because then you can kind of figure out which one is the if you're if your hand bespoke 
creating images, you can figure out which one is the best for that situation. If you're setting up a system to go through images, then the, then people can spend a lot of time figuring out how they want to configure that system and they've got options, right? It's not like we have to pick only one format to be the king. Like, no, we're going to have multiple formats. It's good that way. Right. Cloudinary famously has like F auto. It doesn't say F AVIF or F, you know, it. their promise as a company is we will pick the one that is the best for you and then make that their responsibility, which is cool. Yeah, so um, JPEG XL has the benefit of JPEG, which is that it can pro- progressively load, right? So if it's a slow connection, you can see the image as it's coming in. Yeah, is that, do you, do you think that's important? I, I, not, I'm not criticizing, I just am like, that's how big, because that's opposed to blurry and of the whole thing, and then it kind of sharpening over time. Isn't that the alternative? Oh, I think the alter- I thought the alternative was just it appears like you get nothing, 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 and then it's there. But you know what? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I should go find well, out. I don't know either. I'm not trying to. I don't know. I mean, I think we're spoiled living in a world of very fast internet connections because they just pop in. Right. But for any of us who remember being on dial-up modems, it really made a difference to have progressively loaded images and the whole world is yeah, not I, I did I think I preferred then the line by line it was more exciting <laughs> <laughs> just one line one line one yeah. line I mean, yeah. sometimes people write, you make a giant image and turn that into like a movie experience. Like, welcome to my website. Watch this image load for the next yeah. 10 seconds. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> the you 90s. Make it very dramatic. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, I mean, I guess there's a debate to be had there to, to some research to find out when you're working on a particular project is, is what, what kind of difference would that make for the market that you actually have? Well, I, I wanted to, uh, I, you know, I have my own little like list of votes, but I, but it's making me almost self-conscious about it because uh, my tendency is to vote for like new and exciting things. Even though I just told the whole story about the contact picker API and stuff, and I might vote for that. I think, you know, months ago when I was thinking of my list, I was like, view transitions, but, you know, and I, I, my whole list was just new stuff because they're yeah. top, top, or top, top of mind kind of thing. So I might have to, to reevaluate that. Not that it will have any influence, but it's, I still, I really like Interop. It's a cool project. Well, and there's 91 proposals. So spoiler alert, we're not going to pick anywhere near 91. <laughs> no. It's going to be a small subset. Um, and they're, they're not what you think, too. They, I feel like when you get down into the five votes category, you're like, what, what even is that? I don't even yeah. know what that is. <laughs> Just, I mean, I'm sure they're extremely important to some people and not so much to like the general. Well, and you can't, you can't do it on a pure popularity contest because like something, a Japanese language feature is not going to be as popular as view transitions, you know, like just because the number of people that speak Japanese globally and vote on a <laughs> little GitHub issue is very small compared to the number of people who use view transitions or want it, you know? So Yeah. Yeah. You can't run an English language survey to find out how people like CJK and then not uh, run it in, in yeah, Chinese, Chinese Japanese, or yeah. Korean. There might be some bias <laughs> in the whole system. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And some of these, you know, like might not get chosen because they might have good gained interoperability from them between they were, I don't know, proposed in August or September. And oh. then by the time the decisions got made later, you look at the test results and you're like, oh, this doesn't need to be in here anymore. This is already done. Well, stay tuned for the results. I'm sure it'll be all over the news. We'll mention it when the when the, when the the things come out. And again, there's it's like it's not like overnight all those things are fixed. Then we just get to watch the dashboard over the year and such. But I think it'll be cool to see what's going on. 
we should move over to, you know, one of the things we wanted to talk about was, you know, WebKit release velocity and Safari 17 and 0.1 and 0.2 and all that. So, the, you know, there, there was a, you know, developers be developers. There was definitely like a, a time where it was, you know, once IE has been wiped from our minds, you hardly ever hear about IE anymore. The like interim joke was Safari's the new IE. I'm sure you heard that many times internally and externally. Oh, did I? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, that was out there though. And it's, I feel like it's starting to go away. The, the, you know, you wanted to, to make sure that that wasn't true. You and everybody else over there, I'm sure. And um, and I think you've done it because that I don't really hear that anymore. It's so good to hear that. We've certainly been listening to everything everyone said. Um, I remember, I think both of you wrote blog posts at a time when there were a lot of blog posts coming out as well as, of course, a lot of tweets. Um, and this is still when Twitter still existed. I think it was like the summer of 2021, maybe, when Safari 15.0 was in beta and... People were disappointed that there weren't more features being announced. And there were lists made of saying, this is what we need. Like, and here's why. I, re I remember your blog post, Dave, was actually, especially like you, you articulated the idea yourself that, hey, I don't want to just complain. I want to actually put together a, a list of like, why? This is what I need. Here's why I need it. Here's the situation. This is the kind of website I'm trying to build. And this is the problem that's getting caused by not having the support. Well, there was a lot of a lot of communication coming in from many, many different people. And it it that does move the needle. Like people wonder now, like what happened? It's like, well, you told us what you needed and we were listening. And now, now we we did it. Um so we really went, especially across 2023, we wanted to burn down as much of that list as we possibly could. Um and make sure that, because we want the websites that and the web apps that everybody's making to work really well in Safari. We want people who use Safari to go to the websites they want to go to and have a great experience. Um, so for us to help you do that, that's what we want to be doing. The frustration might have been compounded by like, oh, it doesn't have this stuff. And we're used to the yearly release cycle. So the fact that it doesn't have it now means that at best, we're going to get it a year from now. Yeah, you know, and that that was a bummer too. And that that those expectations were were changed as well. Because what is it now? Three months ish, two months? I don't even know. Sometimes it's even faster than that, isn't it? Yeah, I th I would love people to really get it that Safari comes out at least seven times a year, um, and that that decimal point and the number after des after the decimal point matters, right? So it's numbered. 16.0, 16.1, 16.2, 16 16.3. And uh, I think we went 16.6 and then 16.7, or sorry, 17.0 was the next version of Safari. So that's seven versions of Safari 16 that came out. The big number tends to go with the operating system still, right? Yeah, the big number tends to go with, at least the last couple of years, it's tended to go with, hey, there's a big new operating system coming out. We've got macOS Sonoma and iOS 17, and there's new features like... Like the um, dock tablets. thing was big yeah. or whatever. Right. So there's a lot of new features for everyday people to talk about. Um, and so those tend to come out when the big number changes, I guess, is how you could think about it. But actually, Safari was coming out more than once a year before that. I think you're right that people didn't know it, and their perception was that, hey, Safari 12, 13, 14... 
15, that's it. There's no other times. But the truth is that Safari 12.1, 10.1, 11.1, 12.1, 13 14.1 were actually really big releases. And sometimes there'd be more web technology in something like Safari 12.1 than there was ne- necessarily in Safari 12. But because of the way it was numbered, um, that was kind of, those things kind of get lost, I guess. Um, we've also put a lot of effort into making sure that we've got comprehensive release notes where everything, every single solitary thing, every feature, every bug fix that is relevant to web developers is documented, um, which before I think it was more like, hey, let's hit all the highlights of the new features because they're awesome. And there wasn't a lot of like trying to make a list of every bug fix ever. <laughs> That's been like the biggest improvement for me. Cause I, you know, it was a lot of mental effort and cognitive load to kind of figure out, okay, what's the far I got in this one, you know? And, and uh, I mean, these docs, the, the release notes, I'm subscribed to my RSS reader of choice. I like get them. I can slowly go through them and it, it's amazing. It's incredible. You know, it's just, you know, I think this last one you, you said was a very huge one, a very huge release. And so yeah. there's all these features that are here. And and I think, yeah, I just spent a lot of energy. And back my post two years ago, I had to look it up. But uh, it was how do we you do know, a lot of look at your list, Dave. <laughs> Did is the whole thing knocked off or no? Mostly. Well, I the most my biggest thing was, you know, there's stuff I like old Safari stuff, and I think a lot of that's gone, like old WebKitty prefixes. And then, you know, then there was stuff, you know. So I stuff I do just for Safari stuff like Safari doesn't have, and I think that's even that's gotten way better. And then stuff like Safari has, but I didn't know that, and now I need to like reprogram my brain that Safari has this, and so yeah. Um, and, and so I think the communication has gotten way better than it was because I wasn't having to piece it together myself. It, it's now just in a very mm. well formatted blog post, you know, and and that's huge. Uh, just that with that, embedded pens. From code with pen. embedded, yeah. <laughs> that like little twist is huge. Yeah, visual. I mean, visual, right? Like if somebody just writes like fixed has or whatever, I'm like, I don't care or whatever, you know. But when there's like a demo that goes with it, that's huge. Yeah. So. Well, and that I think it, it it became apparent that that there were also things that Safari definitely had that people didn't know about, and that was causing some of the frustration. I remember for a while there getting asked pretty regularly why we hadn't shipped WebP yet. And I was like, we shipped it two years ago. Like what's going on that we literally shipped WebP two years ago and yet people are coming quite spicy complaining about not having WebP. So it it was like, okay, well, let's, and we realized, oh, a lot of the data on can I use an MDN BCD, the browser compatibility data is not accurate. Like those projects are, especially kind of used is run by volunteers, right? So we're like, okay, well, what can we do to make sure that that data is more accurate? So we we put a lot of effort into helping make sure that that, that if someone, if a developer wants to know and you go to kenayuse.com and you look something up, the results are coming from two different places. One is the Kenny Use data and one is the MDM BCD data that we want that it's still not, I mean, there's still, especially the MDM BCD data because it's so huge. It goes into so much detail. There's still a lot of things that are inaccurate, but we're just working on drilling that down to where we can get it as close to perfect as possible. Um, 
because it makes sense. You want to know if something's supported, you look it up, it says it's not supported, you believe it. <laughs> you don't actually go build your own test, unit test, yeah, rarely. run the unit test and then double check that, you know. I feel like in my prime I used to, but now I'm too tired. Yeah. You, had, you had 20 <laughs> pens that you just rifled through. Yeah. 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 But there are two really, well, maybe there's a couple different places people can go if they want to stay up on what's going on. So one of them is every time a new beta comes out, there are comprehensive release notes that go with that beta. And then across the period of the beta, things are going to change, right? There might be a feature that we didn't, that we thought we put in the beta, but actually needs a little bit more polish, so it gets removed. Or there's new things that hadn't landed in the first beta, but they landed in the second or third beta or whatever. They get added. And, and then when that version of Safari ships, those release notes are updated with any changes that need to be made and published as the sort of final official release notes. And those all live on developer.apple.com. If you just search for Safari 17.2 release notes, you'll probably find a link to get to the right page on developer.apple.com. And you can, if you want to go back in time, you can see release notes. I think they go all the way back to like Safari 12. And then the other place you you were describing this, which is at webkit.org, um, we put out a big article every time there's a new release of Safari, especially for the fall release and for the December release and the spring release, um, at least in the last year. those It was the March release, the June announcement for the beta of the fall release, and then the fall release in that September, and then the December release in 2023. Let's just do it. It'll make great radio. This <laughs> latest release... Uh, it starts with exclusive acc accordions, which is so bizarre to me. That seems like everybody that just came out of nowhere to me. All the browsers are like, we have this thing now. You can make an accordion by putting the name attribute on the details. And then only <laughs> one can be open at a time. We're all like, wow, okay. Uh, pretty cool. That solves like a p pattern that we'd use JavaScript for. So rock and roll. I feel, I feel it was a good lead because it was kind of like surprising. You know, it's like, like a, yeah. like a here, here's a present, you know? Yeah. Which is kind of cool. One-time codes, which is the attribute that says this is going to be one of those things where you're, I don't know, you're, you get a text with eight three seven one, and it's got to go in there. Like having the semantics to put that in there. So theoretically, browsers and ads yeah, or an email on on Apple devices now. Like if you get an email with a one-time code and the website's built properly, it will fit, automatically just fill that code in for you and move It'll you on. It'll just slide right in there. Like it does on iOS. Yeah. You don't have to like go to your email and open your email and all that stuff. You can just yeah. Juicy. That's nice that it doesn't on de on desktop too. It, for for people that don't do uh, daily driver Safari, it, I have a cool app called Message Decoder that does it in any app. That's it just will. And uh, it's worked in Safari for a long time, but this this thing in seventeen point two added it for WK WebView, which means it gets added for other apps, other apps that use WK WebView to display web technology. All right, so nesting came out too. In that not not just all nesting, but the like the, the final, the final nesting, the good <laughs> It shipped in, uh, nesting shipped in Safari 16.5, but this is the update to nesting to get rid of the requirement to have an ampersand before an element selector and that kind of stuff. It made it easier to use. Yeah, love it. I, I just yesterday saw some pushback that said, I don't, the, just nesting is bad, but if it had BEM, then I would like it. Like the style where you smash them together, which is like the stupid one thing it can't do. You know, like where you can't uh -huh. put an ampersand in no space and have it just concatenate the names. Anyway, 
I was like, I just disagree. Send them to me, dude. I'm I'm gonna no send them my way. You're gonna, I'm gonna it's the worst. I'm like, I couldn't disagree I'm more. Bully them on the internet. <laughs> Jeez, Louise. <laughs> anyway, excellent um, job with that. I know you're involved with nesting, and the, the final result there is tremendous. I think. Yeah. Uh, a bunch of new units that I'll need to read about, and don't want to embarrass myself on the radio about because I've never heard of them oh, before. Oh, they're cool. There's cool units. <laughs> yeah, like there's root level units. So you know the difference between M and REM, right? That little yeah, R yeah, mm-hmm, level. Mm-hmm. So there's now the CAP unit, the X unit, the IC unit, and the CH unit also have root level units now. So CAP is like the CAP height. X is the X height, which are things that, again, because of a lack of interoperability, because of a, I think this might be dodgy, I'm scared to use it. These things have been around for many, many years, but people don't use them. But actually, you could do some gorgeous typography by setting, I don't know, your line height to be an increment of your cap unit or something. I don't know. There's a CH unit, which is the width or the height of the zero character of the font. Now, IC unit is um, for CJK, so Chinese, Japanese, and Korean, like it ideographic character. The ideographic is the I and character is the C. Um, so if you want to measure out, which especially is important in CJK typography, especially in Japanese, where like people want everything to be like exactly the right width and exactly the right number of characters and stuff. So those units give you access to all of that. And you can set root level units to that now, too. Um, That was way too long of an explanation, but I get excited about the typography. No, it's cool. You can't because units are like unreplicatable. So I'm like excited about that, too. It's not it's like not something that like you could do some other way. And it's just handy. You're like, you just can't have this data. It's like the only place this data exists. Well, and by themselves, they don't really like, Okay, whatever. I can make a root character unit. I don't care. But if you start to think about what you would do with it and then you start realizing like the line height unit which came out earlier in the year. That one's and the I root line that. height unit. Like now you can start making some vertical rhythm and some gorgeous make your margins around your image be the same distance as your line heights, those distance between your lines and are, are you saying padding bottom one rem is just faking it? <laughs> yeah, <but laughs> no, Dave, yeah. Kind of. I need that. Kind of is, yeah. Well, what if you downloaded a font off like Defont, you know, like Cowboy Bleeding Bebop or something? Is that going to have the right? Is it going to have a cap? Where does cap come from? Like, uh, just there's something like distrustful in my brain. Like, does this font well, even expose that data? Yeah, no, you're right because there are data tables that fonts are supposed to have and fill out with all the right metrics, but humans like they're very uneven. So. A higher quality font will have all of those metrics filled out properly, and a lower quality font often won't. Will not. But then you start to get into, well, what's some solutions to that? That starts to get into the future of like what was called letting trim becoming text box trim and text box edge. Text box edge is super interesting. There's some like discussion happening right now about how to solve because line height actually has a bunch of extra space above and below the ink of the characters. And what's that doing there? You can't really make gorgeous rhythms if. You have all that like extra janky white space all over and you can't really, you don't know how big that is. It's different sizes for different fonts. So there's some things coming in the future that we're implementing in Safari Technology Preview and helping work on the specs for. I think that is on the interop list. Trim. One of the trims is. Mm, that it might have gotten proposed for 24. Yeah. yeah but maybe There's it's still not spec work yet. going on around it, which is why yeah. we haven't shipped it yet. Um, especially around text box trim makes sense because you can trim off 
but Textbox Edge is still. Yeah, I've never even heard of that one. I'll have to just wait. Yeah, it's like the rag on the side, right? Like the, or the inline kind of, Mm. or something. Well, I think about it like this, right? So, you know what box sizing border box does? And Mm -hmm. then it switches you into a sane box sizing model where box sizing content box is the actual default. So you have to do it on every document. I feel like Textbox Edge is going to be the new box sizing border box. Oh, really? It's actually, it's going to switch the line layout model from the original one, which totally made sense, but also has problems into a brand new line box layout model. Ooh, that's good. That is good. Looking forward to it. Yeah, um, there's some motion stuff like linear, which allows you to, I don't know, it's like, I can't mouth blog it, but like put a whole bunch of numbers in about how something should ease, which I feel like is a horrible name, but you know, it's not linear. It's, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. What happened here is that Motion Path became part of Interop 2023. Mm. And so different browsers were completing their implementations. And along the way, we're like, is this really what we want? And so the spec got revised. And a whole bunch of stuff changed. And this here in Safari 17.2 is us implementing because we had actually already, like, we thought we were done, but then, oh, the spec got better. So then we were, this is us updating to, to the, the latest version of the spec. Um, so, you know, Motion Path was kind of not implemented everywhere two or three years ago or whatever. And then it was, I think, maybe I'd have to look up Kenny used to get the data. Um, but it, because it became part of Interop, now it's in a much, much, much better place in all the browsers. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, looks like masks got unprefixed. That's kick-ass. That was one of the that was really holding on for a while there, which is yeah. Uh, but that's that's nice. It looks like it's fancier too. A little extra stuff you can do. With yeah, masking. I think we were the first browser to unprefix it, and hopefully everybody else will get it all done too. But there's some cool irony there, where like you know other browsers sometimes implement the WebKit prefix. Yeah. But like we'll still have to prefix. You have to use the WebKit prefix for Firefox. <laughs> That's real weird. How do we get there? But it's like kind of the last one. So if it's a weird ending to prefixes, yeah. that's cool. I mean, we don't do that anymore. Now we use feature flags. So yeah. this problem is going away. Better, better world. So okay. Anyway, that was a lot. That, and this blog post just keeps going and going. Yeah. So there's CSS got a round function, which is incredible. Oh, yeah, we're all I about love, that. I it's love so cool. rounds so much. I just think it's, I think I literally read a tweet like CSS is not programming language because it doesn't have a round function or something. Like I literally saw that and then shortly like round comes out and I'm like, hey, uh, I guess it's officially a programming language. You can round things. So there you go. I made a demo with round, the round function where basically saying like it's a responsive column where it's totally fluid, except I want it to round off to the nearest five rems or the nearest 10 characters or something. So you could say, hey, be a fluid box. You're going to, if, if the browser, if I grab the side of the browser and move it back and forth, you're going to get bigger and smaller and bigger and smaller. Except rather than clicking through every single solitary pixel in the screen, I want you to jump to the nearest 10th character. So you can be 50 characters wide, you can be 60 characters wide, you can be 70 characters wide, et cetera, et cetera. But you can't be... 55.2 characters wide. Oh, that's really good. Wow. And then I just sat there and like thought about that for a week. And I was like, what would we have made of that back 10 years ago when we were 
all at an event apart, watching people talk about responsive web design on, on stage, debating responsive fluid versus adaptive, like fixed jumping from one fixed size to another fixed size and be like, well, you could do this thing in between where it's fluid, except it's not completely fluid. It jumps. Yeah. What was the name for that? Adaptive or something? Adaptive. Yeah. 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 But it's like squishy, but not, I I like it. If you want to keep, or like you have designers who only want like certain size columns or content columns. It's pretty cool. So yeah, that word didn't, it kind of caught on, but not as much as the others. And, but it's it just kind of got morphed into like people still do it. You just don't call it that. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking of like gaming, where like now with round you can do things that are like I don't know. You're like think of a game where you're building a farm or something, and you're dragging. I'm going to build the cow barn right here. You have this opportunity to say only allow to put it on this. Oh yeah. Anything that's like grid based round is going to be awesome for. It's not you don't have to drag to stuff pixel location. by pixel. Yeah, right there is the only place. Yeah. Yeah, there's some cool stuff on JavaScript front. Import attributes going to be useful, um, like JSON a, with type JSON. Yay. You know, um, that's going to be cool. Uh, anyway, this is uh, this is really cool. We could read the blog post, I guess, <laughs> or do a dramatic <laughs> reading. We'll hire Jeremy Keith to do that. But no, this is just an incredible uh, set of features. Well, I know here. you're excited, Dave, to talk about this pushing first thing because we only have five minutes left. Can we talk about yeah. some of that? Well, that, so yeah, the one thing I, that opened my eyes I, in one of the blog posts was input type equals checkbox switch. Yes. Uh-huh. And I was like, what's this? Yes. And it's like to turn your input checkboxes into those little cool toggle switches, right? Yep. That's the other thing that you can find on webkit.org. I really do hope that people go to that website and read the blog because we put a lot of time into these release blog posts to to teach, because I don't assume that anybody knows anything. It's like, I want to teach you what this is so that you at least know enough to know what it is so that you can go learn more about how to use it. Um, And there's also Safari Technology Preview release notes. So every time Safari Technology Preview comes out, which you might have noticed lately, the last year or so, tends to be every two weeks, like every other week. Maybe not, maybe we skip a week for a holiday or something, but basically every other week. And yeah, Switch Control showed up in Safari Technology Preview recently where you write input type equals checkbox, just like normal, so that there's a good fallback, right? This is how HTML works. You need a fallback for browsers that don't have support. And then you just add a switch attribute. And so for browsers that do have support, the switch attribute makes the checkbox go away and it turns it into a switch. Um, And on WebKit, in WebKit on Safari platforms, or I'm sorry, on Apple platforms, iOS, iPadOS, macOS, VisionOS soon, it will, by default, look like that operating system's default checkbox. Oh, you know, look really? Like checkboxes. I yeah, didn't realize that. Like, I thought you were just like, okay, it has some default look, but like you're, you have to do all the work to make it fancy. No, you don't have to do any work. But there are two pseudo-elements. So if you want to customize it, there are two pseudo-elements. You can change the... Um, <laughs> you can change the little like the circle thing that you drag back and forth, or you can change, like there's all sorts of possibilities that you can custom style it if you want to custom style it. I really like that. That you see, you just get the really nice little toggle back and forthy thing just by putting the word switch on a checkbox. Yep. That's tremendous. And there's a demo, I should find it, but there's a demo that my colleague at Apple made that is really kind of gorgeous and shows all these different checkboxes that are 
you know, I one of them got it, like a moon and sun one and yeah, stuff. Yeah. 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 Yeah, the moon and sun one, right? I think I must have posted on them on Mastodon or something. Um, where, yeah, you could really do a lot with the styling. And the and the the pseudos are not weird. It's just what is it? Thumb and track? Maybe you already said it, but yeah, they're not. I don't know. That's pretty logical, right? Like the thumb is the little thing that moves, and the track is the little place where it moves within. Those are not nice names. Switch thumb track, boom. Yeah. Boom. My my dumb brain gets it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like try to remember just, all the ones for this for the scroll bars. You know, like there's track and thumb, but they're not as simple as that. They all Well, we wanted to do it because we were getting a lot of requests to be able to put those kinds of switch controls on web-based content. And we wanted it to be easy because of course, you know, one of the I've certainly gone to CodePen many times searching for other people's examples of switch controls to figure out Ooh. how to Put a display. Sorry, our search sucks. What's it? A um, <laughs> appearance none on a checkbox, and then build yeah, the checkbox yeah. yourself from scratch with a whole bunch of, of very complicated CSS. It's like that's too hard. That's a hack. We shouldn't have to work that hard. Well, it's a hack because not not everybody did it that way. Some people would kick it off the screen entirely and then rebuild it with the label because the label oh. has that you know you know which was bad and then we kind of got accessibility advice that like some people like like on an iPad for example you might like move your finger over the screen and there'll be like a tactile feeling when you like find a form control and if you did it that label way you didn't get that so it was like a minor accessibility problem in doing it that way that's why it's like don't hack it just use the regular thing. Yeah. Or you just set opacity zero maybe on the checkbox because that was enough to make it disappear and then place crap over it. But there, there was a time when setting the width and height on it, like would it would be limited. It wouldn't, like you couldn't say width 100 pixels. It just would ignore you and be like, oh, 18 is as far as it goes or something. Ah! Yeah. There's a lot of work to be done to figure out how to make all of the form controls more stylable. Um, that's something we've been talking about a, a lot as well, is how can we, what's a good system to make them easier? But meanwhile, here's a new one, switch control. It's also can be done vertically. So if you switch the, um, I think it actually in the Safari Technology Preview 186, which came out yesterday, we added support for vertical writing modes to the switch control. So if you want your switches to go up and down, you just switch the vertical writing mode, to, to, you know, switch the writing mode into a vertical writing mode and it will Sweet. put yourself a little soundboard out of switch controls. Uh, well, we're coming up in the end, but we should mention the, the, the content on blocks too, because I think that's really cool. I think there's a lot of us in our mind, they're like, okay, when you need to center something vertically in you know, in the our, our left to right writing mode or whatever, that's always been hard. And then Flexbox and JPEGs came, or Flexbox and Grid came along, and we're like, ah, oh, it's easy now, and it is. It's tremendously easy, but you got to use Flexbox or Grid, right? No, right. not anymore. No, line contact on blocks would mean any block formatting context, which includes floats. So. You know, one of the things is you might think, well, most of the time it's fine to just toss a flex box with one, you know, on a container with one child, and then you can vertically center that one child. Uh, no big deal. But sure, except then you can't have a float involved because if you have some sort of floated oh. content, then Flexbox sort of nukes your floats. Oh, there so are side effects. This is a situation where if you needed to continue to have floated content plus vertical centering, you could do so. Um yeah, this Delicious. has been. That's great. People have been advocating this for this for a really long time, so we we're really happy to um, get it done. Uh, Align content a, center on a block level element. Just any old div on the block. That's so cool. 
I don't, and it, apparently it was just spec that way all along, right? Yeah, you need to have space to align it in, right? So if you are in a flow context and you're like, you toss it on a headline, but the headline is just, the height of the headline is the content itself, you're not going to see any effect. But if you put a 50 viewport height on something so that there's some extra white space and then you want to align it in that white space. Yeah, exactly. Because vertical is always weird that way, right? Like for the, I don't know. I mean, we're assuming horizontal writing mode, of course, but you could flip it and do horizontal centering in a vertical writing mode, yeah. Uh, indeed. And yeah, masonry, we continue to work on masonry. There's debates happening in the CSS working group um, that need to, in fact, I'm, I, we'd love to end up getting some feedback from designers and developers to hear how are you going to use masonry? What would you is like? It still There's locked some in the grid. I didn't mind yeah. it in grid, but I think there are some people that really didn't like that it was part of grid. That's part of the thing. That's part of what needs to get decided so that we can ship it. Um, it's in Safari Technology Preview. People can use it today. Try it out. Uh, yeah, I really like having it in grid because you know if you study graphic design and you study grid systems in the place of grid systems in the history of art and publishing and whatever across humanity. Um, it was very, very common for grids to really be about columns. Priests handwriting religious texts, copying them from one to another or whatever. They were making these columns and then making those columns be the same size as each other. And that's kind of where some of this comes from, where um, it was in some ways the modernists in the middle of the 20th century who came along and said, hey, we should line things up across the page as well. We should make rows and we should have white space and everything should be like a two-dimensional grid. And so CSS grid really is the dominant layout system for the web. Finally, we got a layout system, yay. But it sort of insists that you have a grid that works in both dimensions. And by adding masonry, you could say, no, I really want to define columns and then I want... The, I want to have some packing going on and not have things lined up in rows. Um, and of course, the layout that became famous, uh, that I think people think of Pinterest when they think of that layout, is one of the layouts you can do to lay out a whole bunch of images or such. That layout has even-sized columns. Maybe you have 12 even columns that become six even columns, become three even columns or something. But if we make it part of grid, which is how it's spec'd right now, and that's how we've implement, implemented it in Safari Technology Preview, then you can make your columns be different sizes from each other. They don't have to be the same size. You could have the one on the left be really big and the one on the right be smaller. Um, you could use it to lay out. I've seen some examples when we've had some conversations um, at Apple where you could lay out like a giant footer of navigation using masonry. Maybe you've got a bunch of images that are all the same size as each other, but you do want to lay them out kind of like a brick wall. You don't want them to be laid out in a grid, Hollywood Square style. Like you want to. So there's definitely all sorts of use cases I think that are different than that classic. I'm with you. you don't don't throw out the baby with the bathwater here. We still want the columns. We just want it ragged one direction, kind of. Yeah, and. By making it part of grid, it would be the, the direction that's not masonry. You would have all the power of grid. So you could use min-max. You could use min-content, max-content, min-max, FR units. You could use all of those things. Where I think the proposals around, no, it should be display grid gives you a grid, and display masonry gives you masonry layout. That would be like, you just get the Pinterest layout. You get, and the columns are all the same size as each other. Yeah. They're not any Ooh. different. Um, so you don't get any of that power. And it's like, well... 
I think that's overly simplistic. I think that limits it. So like, let's make, let's give it all that power. Well, if we still make it separate, display grid, display masonry, and you've got all of these, then, okay, let's add min-max to masonry. Let's add, well, then you've basically replicated grid and you have grid in two places. You have code in the engine that's identical, that's different. That's not going to work. Like, is that over 10 years? Are you going to, or if you keep evolving grid, are you going to keep updating masonry? If you want to change masonry, are you going to upgrade? It just feels like we'll end up with two different things that are so similar to each other and not at the same. And Anyway, I'm starting to babble because I'm passionate about it, but uh, these are things that we're working on that that's the debate in the working group is to figure out how, how exactly should it work. I'm excited for what happens. Yeah. 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 It's interesting to hear stuff like that because you're like, it's, it felt further along. I don't know. Maybe it's just my brain, but I feel like once you see it once, like it was in Firefox for like a while, maybe it still is. But the path, that doesn't mean anymore that that's its destiny. It just was being tried out. You know? Yeah, it landed in June of 2020 behind a flag in Firefox. Yeah, so a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think it's been updated as the spec has been evolving. Um, and it's been in Safari Technology Preview on by default for, I think, at least a year. I don't remember exactly when it landed, but it's been a while. Maybe a little bit less than a year, but... And it's mature. It's ready to go. Um, it's just these sort of fundamental philosophical questions that need to be added, a- answered by the working group. Yeah, like if you're going to spec it, do it right. Yeah. Heck yeah. Well, very cool, Jen. Thank you uh, so much. I, like, It's cool to see the progress on inter- Interop, the great success there. Excited about Interop 2024 here. And it's cool to see Safari updating regularly and even paving the way, leading on new features. Um, it's yeah. it's welcome change uh, to the old browser ecosystem. So really appreciate that. I, I think we'll have to wrap it up here just purely based on time. But yeah. for people who aren't following you and giving you money, how can they do that? Um, so I'm Jen Simmons at frontend.social, front-end.social on Mastodon. Um, I am still on what's now called X as Jen Simmons, but I don't, I, I rarely open up X. Um, Mastodon's really the place to find me. So, and we really do, I mean it when I say input from people who make websites has impact. So I, and especially a longer blog post explanation or bug report, file bug reports. You want to give me money, file bug reports. There's my answer. <laughs> so if you have requests, you can go to bugs.webkit.org and file uh, requests or bug reports there. Um, if you find a, a lack of interoperability or something like do file bug reports, you can ping me on Mastodon and tell me about it to make sure that it gets seen. Um, and go to webkit.org and find out all the news on what's happening with Safari and WebKit and things that are coming in the future in Safari Technology Preview, things that have already arrived in Safari. I, it's a top-tier uh, subscription in my feed reader, so appreciate that. All right, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, thanks again, Jen, for coming on the show. Um, and thank you, dear listener, for downloading this in your podcast. Your choice. Be sure to start our favorite up. That's how people find out about the show. Follow us on um, Mastodon. We're there. And then um, also on frontend-n.social. And then join us in the Discord, patreon.com slash shop talk show. Chris, you got anything else you'd like to say? Mm, um, shop talk show.com. <laughs> 